Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on May 30, 2020. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. Before we get started this evening, I'd like to mention that we are soliciting direct feedback from you, our listening audience, regarding this podcast. If you have any suggestions or topics to cover, or if you know of anyone that you feel should be talking with us on the podcast, please let us know. We can be reached via email at podcast at thealliancepartycom Again, that's podcast at thealliancepartycom The Alliance Party is all one word. Also, we have a Twitter feed at Alliance on Air. Again, that's Alliance on Air. Please don't hesitate to contact us and help us generate some noise. It's high time we exercise our rights as Americans and make our political leaders understand that they answer to us. We are their bosses, not the other way around. So this evening, we're talking with Michael Berger, the National Vice Chair for the Alliance Party. Michael has had a lot of experience with political parties over the past few decades. He held officer positions within the Reform Party, the Independence Party of Minnesota, and most recently, he was a state chair, a regional chair, a vice chair, and a national chair of the modern Whig Party of America. He's also worked with the Green Party and United We Stand. Michael has over 40 years experience in management, and he knows how to organize people and get things done. So, Michael, uh, welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark. It's a pleasure to have you with us this evening. Oh, thank you for asking. Glad to be here. Good. Well, uh, we're going to get to uh, party motivation soon, in- including the what I would call the slow motion collapse of our political structure under the weight of the du- duopoly. Um, but first, I'd, I'd like to discuss some urgent issues taking place right now in our country that threaten to unravel us from within. Now, uh, the background is this. We've been in a lockdown situation for quite some time, and arguments rage on about how our response to this pandemic has been bungled from the beginning. But putting all that aside for the moment, um, what's emerging is not only pent-up anxiety over the lockdown and its dire economic consequences, but um, now we're really dealing with pent-up anxiety over racism. Uh, racism is an ugly stain on this country, and, and, and despite amendments 13, 14, and 15 having been ratified uh, over 150 years ago now, uh, we still see oppression through intimidation, uh, widespread attempts at voter suppression through both dubious legal maneuvers along with intimidation, and a sense of legitimacy for racial bias with expressions like, quote, good people on both sides. So what's going on here? Do you have any explanation for what's happening? Well, I think this is just uh, a systemic problem that's lasted for as long as I can remember. Um, And it is racist. And as many good people try to get in and fix it, the system itself is so bent on keeping things in the status quo that it's going to take an outside influence or outside pressure to change it. And that's where we come together as a community. We unite and we bring action. And and as I tell my friends and family, the only way we're going to change things is stop voting for Democrats and Republicans and put people from other parties and other views uh, into office and into the system. Mm-hmm. Break the duopoly. Right. Yeah. So th- that's that's a good answer. And, and um, to that end, I, 
I was doing some research and, and um, I came across this article that uh, was in this, uh, this online magazine called The American Interest. And it's a magazine dedicated to explaining America to the world and the world to Americans. And um, this particular article was entitled, quote, For Unity, Community, and Responsibility, the Alliance Party of America is Born. And it was written by you, along with Brian Mistro, our former national chair, and Jim Rex, our current national chair. And um, it's a fairly lengthy article, but it's a very good read. And um, I, I noticed that the article borrows heavily on the phraseology of our original Declaration of Independence, and if I could, if you would allow me, I would like to read a couple of opening paragraphs from the uh, from the article and get your response in light of what's taken place uh, since this article was published. And it was published in what seems like an eternity ago, but really, in reality, was just March of last year. So, yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Um, I'll do the best I can to quote this. Um when in the course of human events it becomes necessary to alter the habits to which a democratic public has become accustomed, a decent respect for the opinions of our fellow citizens requires that we should declare the causes which impel us to this conclusion. We declare these truths to be self-evident to all sentient adult Americans that the inalienable rights of us all, among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, stand jeopardized on account of the debased political conditions with which we now live. We assert that it is the right of the people to alter such a status quo and to institute new leadership for government, laying its foundation on the principles openly declared in organizing its efforts in such form as shall be most likely to affect the best outcome for the common whale. Prudence dictates that Political stabilities long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, but when a long train of failure is caused by an irresponsible, insulated, and self-absorbed political class threatened to render the nation dangerously divided, disconsolate, fearful, and unsafe, it is the right of the people to throw off such a failed political class and to provide new guardians for their future security. So those are the opening paragraphs, and I, I, I take this as a fairly radical attack, not only on the status quo, but really on the established political parties themselves. And um, you know, I don't mean to water down the fire here, but I think that these strong words require some clarification. Um, for example, the Alliance Party advocates for, or, I'm sorry, the Alliance Party advocates for a multi-party system of government. And... Um, and that being the case, then these words must somehow allow for the transformation of the established parties rather than a complete eradication? Or am I wrong on this point? Could you possibly clarify? No, we feel that there should be just more than two political parties in America. We're the only free country in the world that I know of that has just two parties. So by not having more than two parties, we are stifling the voice and concerns of people who do not want to or feel they do fit into those two major political parties as they are now. And they seem, those two parties just seem to be big money machines to me mm -hmm. and uh, just kind of cater to a certain point of view. And as we see over the last 20 years, that view has just gotten 
wider and uh, more divisive to the American people and not really addressing or fixing the concerns of the majority of Americans. And as we see now in the voting, it's almost 50 to 60% of Americans don't vote. Hmm. So why, why should they? What they need change, the two major parties won't touch. Or hmm. say they do, but really don't. <laughs> right. That, that's a pretty good observation there that, uh, you know, a number of people feel disenfranchised. And, and you know, honestly, when I talk to people one-on-one, um, I get that same sort of feeling. It's it's like, well, what's the use? Why should I vote? And um, there's a lot of things that go into that answer. Uh, one of them, obviously, is just surrendering to the way things are. Um, perhaps a bit of cynicism, too, creeps in there. But... Um, but it's been structured too. The the the, the political system has been structured uh, not only with uh, difficult ballot access, and we can talk about that shortly, um, but uh, high degree of gerrymandering, um, and this thing we call plurality voting in this country that that really makes you throw away uh, one potential candidate for the like of another, or vice versa. In other words it's not so much voting for someone, it's voting against someone. Uh, defensive voting, I guess you could call it. Yeah, when I did uh, county fairs back in Minnesota and people would come up to our booth and say, you guys are just spoilers, you know, you're taking away votes from my candidate and my party. And my response is, so when in Amer- did America become a two-party state and when did my vote become owned by your party. Mm-hmm. We uh, have to open up this voting process and get more candidates and more choices on the ballot. And if you just don't agree with that candidate, don't vote for them. But there has to be choices. There has to be more choices than just two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, really the, the way it's manifested now, I think the only choices that a person can make is First of all, resigned to the fact that it is a duopoly, and so the only time you can really have any sort of input is during the primaries. But the only people that are motivated to go out and vote in the primaries are are the are tend to be not always, but they tend to be people that uh, are not representative of the mainstream. You know, shall I say, like you know, not extremists, but people that are. Um, not in tune with what everybody else wants, right? Because you got that 60% of the people, or 50 to 60% of the people that aren't even voting to begin with, and, and they're not even given a right choice because the uh, choices have already been made in the primary. Yes, so you, the amount of people who decide who the candidate for the general election uh, through the use of the primary is very a uh, small set of the population. Mm-hmm. And... Most third parties or independent candidates don't go through that primary process. Mm-hmm. Uh, most uh, third parties are uh, small enough where they just offer, compared to the Democrats and Republicans, uh, just offer one candidate for one one office for mm-hmm. the election. Yeah, another thing. Another thing that sort of stings me is is. Um, 
regarding the primaries is that you have these these states that race to be the first one. Iowa, for some reason, always wins that race because they keep moving the uh, primary date further and further back. Um, you know, and I live in Missouri right now. We were part of, I guess, what you would call the uh, second Super Tuesday, um, not the primary one, but the, no, I mean, not the first Super Tuesday, but the second one. But, you know, by the time I went to the polls, you know, Iowa has already voted all, all the big all the big states out there, uh, New Hampshire, uh, South Carolina and so on. So, you know, by the time it gets to me and I looked at the ballot and I thought, oh, my gosh, half these people on the Democratic ticket and half of them on. Well, there weren't that many on the Republican ticket this time, at least not so far as presidents go. Um, I didn't even know they were still running. I mean, they, they pretty much dropped out by that time, you know, and so. Yep. Even if I wanted to exercise my choice during the primary, um, it's it's pretty anticlimactic, you know. Is is you know we we all kind of left it up to those early states to do the choosing for us. Well, my issues with the primary itself is w- once you get to a certain date before the primary is held, mm-hmm. and it's, and you want to drop out of the primary, you can't. Your name will stay on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And the second issue I have is why are taxpayers paying for um, this voting system of primaries to decide who the representative will be for a certain party? No. So if, no. if the Democrats run a primary or the Republicans, then they should be paying the expenses, not the taxpayers. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. So um, let's get to the party values a little bit because we, we seem to kind of be meandering into this territory. I know we talked about like ranked choice voting and term limits and so on um, and gerrymandering. I mean, this this sort of resonates in the Alliance Party term limits, for example, or, or uh, the Alliance Party has a policy within the party itself, not uh, not a law, so to speak, like a national law, but it is a policy within the party itself that there are term limits uh, on legislative positions of being 12 years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Correct. So this really reflects party values. And um, so I looked again at the Alliance Party website, which I do just uh, despite every day to see what's going on. And uh, they have a list of values there. There's actually six values. And I thought maybe we could break them down and just discuss them briefly uh, in light of what's going on today. Uh, I really believe that the Alliance Party is um, providing some bright light, illuminating a path into the future, particularly particularly with these values that resonate with, I believe, true American values. And so the first one is this, is the... Uh, the value of unity and therefore community. Can you express what that means to you? Well, unity is bringing together all people in a certain community to share their values and and uh, agree on a certain plan of action to move their community forward. And whether that's in zoning issues or um, how the school districts are run, uh, the communities' um, services such as streets and fire and police and mm-hmm. uh, water and things like that. It's not 
it can't be done by just one segment of the population. Mm-hmm. It's it's all got to come together, and the people working together for the benefit of all in their community. That's that's what I perceive that to mean. Okay. It's a unified people. And then the uh, second one is responsibility. Well, we have to take responsibility for the outcomes of what is going on in our communities and in our states. It can't be pushed off or blamed on a certain segment of the population or a certain party, although I like to do that myself. Mm-hmm. Um, responsibility is um, taking action and helping change the outcome for the better of all people. That's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's not to point fingers, it's to get in there and help change. Okay, and then there's the uh, value of accountability. Accountability to me is holding um, the law or the actions of people uh, accountable for the outcome or for what's happening. And we've, we've seen this even in our news today, is trying to hold people accountable for the actions of um, three or four people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also the accountability of holding a systemic institution that is flawed accountable and coming together in unity to make effective changes. And we can get into more of that later. Okay. And then there's fairness? Well, to me, the fairness is it has to be fair for all communities or all segments of the population in your community. It can't be jerry-rigged for just one set of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I I experienced some of this in my early days back in the 70s when I worked on Indian reservations for three years. And I saw how hard it was for the tribes to deal with the Bureau of Indian Affairs mm. and other agencies that they had to deal with, it was just really stacked against them. So trying to get them to change or even get our senators or congressmen to help uh, was like pulling teeth at that time. Hmm. I hope it's changed. I haven't been back there, but I hope it's gotten better for them. But there has to be a fairness in how people are treated. Yeah. And then there's integrity. Well, you've got to say what you want to do and stick by that. And integrity is also not succumbing to uh, the people with big money or big business in your area. Uh, you have to have integrity to stand up for what you say and be what you say you are. That's integrity to me. Okay. And the final uh, uh, value, uh, alliance value, would be civility. Well, civility is treating everybody with fairness and kindness and keeping the discourse that you have with one another um, with, without having heated language or uh, pointing fingers or blame. Mm-hmm. Uh, just 
treating everybody as you want to be treated and being civil about it. Okay. That, that's what that means to me. Good. Those are good values. And and, and what I'm a, um, one thought I have when I think of these values, I think these are really American values. And sometimes, and I don't mean to sound cynical, but sometimes they seem you know, maybe perhaps trite in uh, and maybe even a bit naive in today's cynical world. Um, but they are, like I say, a part of our American fabric. So how do we get people to turn their attention away from cynicism and toward a mindset of these values? That is um, asking people to keep an open mind and asking them to come in and get involved. It's one thing to sit back in your chair and, and criticize something. It's another to stand up on your own two feet and get involved in an organization that mm-hmm. can help make change. Yeah. It's, it's just too easy in today's society for people to sit and complain or just sit. Yeah. And so to make these changes and to do it in an effective manner, more people have to stand up and get involved. It's it's not all right in today's society or for our future for people just to sit back and say, I'm not going to vote, I'm not going to get involved because nothing changes. Right. Well, nothing changes if you don't get involved. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, and this kind of goes circles back to something we discussed earlier where, you know, people do get cynical or, or they do surrender because they feel the fix is in, right? So I think that people not getting involved plays right into the hands of the current duopoly. I mean, I, I would think that's sort of like the way that exactly the way that they want it. And, um, but as I said in the opening remarks here, uh, we need to tell our political leaders that hey, we're the boss, you work for us, not the other way around. So um, getting involved is is very key. And I just want to point out that um, if you want to get involved in the Alliance Party, the uh, very um, easy to do so to at least get your name out there. There is a, a volunteer sheet right on the Alliance Party website at uh, www.theallianceparty.com slash volunteer. And the Alliance Party is all one word. Well, we've seen in the past 20 years or so the effort to make it harder to vote. So mm-hmm. why would you make it harder to vote? It's to protect your candidates, your party, and your money, uh, your power. Right. So the way we're going to change this is if people stand up and say, I've had enough, you know, just like that movie where if you can't take it anymore, open up your window and stick your head out and start yelling, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. Uh, that needs to happen in America now. If you yeah. can't take it anymore, stand up and do something. Yeah. And it could be as easy as joining a party like the Alliance Party and getting involved. That's interesting what you said. Um, you, you hit upon a key word right there was power, people protecting their power. And I just actually wrote down this quote some time ago, and I came across it again today. In a very simple quote from Senator Lindsey Graham uh, during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, and I don't know if you remember that. I'm sure you do. How he was getting very, very irritated at the time, 
And he finally blurted out, he said, and he turned to the Democrats and said, I hope you never get the power you want. And I just thought to myself, boy, oh boy, he just missed the point completely right there, right? Because it's it's not about power, right? It's 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 about doing what's right for the people. Well, I think I think the clubhouse that the Democrats and Republicans live in in Washington D.C. It's more about power and about money, as as you know, the Senate Majority Leader came to the Senate originally. Uh, a poor man, and now he's one of the wealthiest. Well, how did he get so wealthy being in office? Mm-hmm. It's about power and money. Yeah. And that clubhouse has got to change. We've got to change it. We've got to put people in from other parties. Uh, you know, if we got six senators elected, we would change the way Washington works. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That'd be the so-called fulcrum position, right? Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, um, I was just going to start talking about candidates. <laughs> We've, it, it, and we can't start this conversation really without talking, obviously, at what's going on at the top of the ticket. Uh, we have uh, Roque de la Fuente is uh, running for president under the Alliance Party, as well as uh, Darcy Richardson running for vice president. And um, we had our political convention last month, and um, so where they were confirmed. So um, what can what do you think we can expect to hear from both of these candidates as we enter into our election season? Um, we're going to help them craft messages um, that our party wants to convey to the American people. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the same messages that Rocky and Darcy also want to. Um, uh, Rocky has not had the luxury of having um, the political operatives like are in this party in the past and his past. Mm-hmm. I know he ran with the Reform Party in the past, but uh, they could not offer him what our party does. Right. So I, I think that messaging will come out soon. And, it, it, you know, it's still hard for a third party to even get their message out there, especially in today's environment where it's all about Trump or it's all about the civil unrest that's going on today. Mm-hmm. We have to work that much harder to uh, get our messages conveyed in the in the media. Yeah. Well, I think also because of the pandemic, it's it's actually uh, creating some very good challenges for everybody to get their word out. That's one of our big issues right now is trying to get ballot access. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of states require you to go out and get so many petition signatures. Right. And how do you do that when you're on lockdown? Yeah. So we've had to challenge many states in, in uh, changing what we can do this year, either to drop the requirement for this election cycle or to change it from gathering the uh, signatures to uh, a money a dollar amount mm-hmm. yeah and uh, some states were having luck with that dollar amount and some states they still want petition signatures yeah which uh, we're trying to do online but still how do you reach enough people to get them to go to your website and sign up yeah 
that's a challenge, but online is a little bit safer. I, I, I believe that Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken, has, uh, through executive order, allowed for online petitioning. Yeah, the same thing in Minnesota. Minnesota, really? Okay, good. And I know that uh, Governor Cuomo, Cuomo of New York has um, reduced drastically the number of signatures required. Um here in Missouri, that hasn't happened yet. Um, I keep waiting for it. I've written my uh, representative, my state representative and state senator, and um, got a, a pretty good response back from my state representative. But the state senator was a fairly uh, terse and mean response, which I wasn't expecting, but oh well. Uh, but we'll keep trying. Um, that uh, Missouri has, I believe, a 10,000 signature requirement. So it's not insurmountable in normal times, but uh, during the time of the pandemic, that is almost impossible. The other part of that is the time limit. Yeah. In Minnesota, you you have to collect, depending on what position you're running for, 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 signatures, but you only have two weeks to get them in. Yeah. How can you do that online? It just Yeah. I, they have to give more. Yeah, and I, I guess, it mystifies me. And it, well, it doesn't mystify me. I mean, if if you if you think of politics as being the pursuit of power as opposed to the pursuit of representing your constituents, then those those sorts of barriers, yeah, you know, make sense. But I'm being kind of cynical there. But that's, um, you know, if it truly is representing the people, then I would think that those requirements would be tremendously relaxed. For me, it's always been my idea that it's unconstitutional to have a certain set of requirements for two parties and then a, a certain set of requirements for all other parties. Yeah. Um, just because the two parties are dominant, all candidates should be treated equal. Yeah. And uh, that that's going to have to eventually be challenged in the courts. Well, it, it is an arduous process. Um, but um, can we talk about some of the other candidates? Uh, are there any other, any other candidates you'd like to talk about? Because we had some on, on previous podcasts. We had, uh, let me see, uh, speaking of Minnesota, we had Brad Svensson on the podcast. We had Sarah Work uh, from uh, South Carolina. We had uh, Ozzy Gonzalez, who recently uh, ran for mayor mayoral position in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, Brad Jane, again, from South Carolina, and Steve Kuzmich, who's uh, running for the, I think it's the 24th um, Congressional District in Texas. Um, any other candidates that uh, you'd like to talk about that's running with the Alliance Party? Well, we have a candidate now who's running for the U.S. Senate in Minnesota, who uh, originally, I think he was from uh, Ethiopia or... Oh, shoot, now I don't remember. But he's just got an outstanding story behind him and how uh, he escaped for a while from his country and then went back to help and got thrown in prison. Wow. Uh, got out of prison and came came to the United States and uh, has helped our armed services. And he's just got an amazing story behind him. Wow. Now he's running for the U.S. Senate with our party in Minnesota, 
and we have a candidate um, who used to be a former national chair of the Reform Party, Reform Party, was the former national chair of the modern Whig Party, Larry Stanley, uh, running for a state house seat here in Washington State. Uh, Larry is just a knowledgeable, excellent communicator, mm-hmm. and I hope he'll be the same as the candidate. And then we've had a few more join, and I don't have that list in front of me. That's Tim Cotton handles all that. So yeah, yeah. Well, I am working with one. I among the other things I'm doing here, I'm, I'm uh, uh, working with James O'Donnell, who's working, who's uh, running for the uh, congressional first district in uh, Missouri here. So um, yeah. it's. Um, it's an interesting it's an interesting process uh, I, and over the over the uh, past few months I've been able to talk to a lot of these candidates and um, well, I got to tell you I mean I, I think if we run down the list of all the things that we agree with and disagree with yeah we don't agree on everything and we don't disagree on everything but you know when it comes back to those uh, to those uh, uh, the the uh, party principles you know uh, unity and community, responsibility, accountability, fairness, integrity, and civility. We're 100% in agreement on that area. And I think, you know, it's okay with me, right? If we have a candidate that at least keeps an open mind and um, takes the job seriously and is willing to uh, advocate for those things that um, that allow for, like, you know, ranked choice voting or, or um, you know, term limits or things like that, um, Boy, it, it just it really I'm very excited about having all the candidates that we have. So um I'd like to talk to more as the uh as the election year progresses. Yes. Uh, I hope you have that chance. You know, this is this is a big tent party even though we're quite small at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the modern Whig party who brought the most membership into this alliance. Uh, had members come to us from all political parties, from the Greens, from the Constitution Party, Libertarians. We had a few communist people join us who were mm. fed up with their party. There's a message in these parties that, uh, or in our party now, that can bring people together under the, our core values. Mm-hmm. And, and that does affect people. That message does get to people. When they come to our website and read it or send me questions that I ask, answer, um, people are grateful that, well, happy (laughs) that they now have a third choice. Yeah. Uh, Even though they know it's going to be an uphill battle for us to get to be the third uh, largest party in America. Mm Mm-hmm. It would be done. I mean, we've only been here a year, just over a year, mm-hmm. and uh, our growth has just been outstanding. Not, a, you know, we we brought in the alliance or the Independence Party of Minnesota into the alliance. Mm-hmm. That's Jesse Ventura's old party. Mm-hmm. We brought in the Independence Party, Independent Party of Connecticut, and they brought in thirty thousand members just in their state party. Wow, that's a lot. And we are talking with other parties across the country right now, and we hope to be announcing some things in the next two months. 
because uh, it does take time to vet out all the concerns that both parties have with each other and come to a common agreement. Yeah. Well, again, it's it's the, you know, we can rally around the uh, the values and you can start there. And I yeah. think it's not hard to get people to agree to the values and, and from there you can branch out and talk about other issues. Yep, we're not asking for anybody's firstborn like it mm-hmm. seems the Democrat Republicans do. Yeah. And you won't you're not gonna see us have a book of platform issues like the major two parties do. Um we're gonna stick to the core top issues that Americans have and work on fixing those. And once we get those fixed then we'll move on to something else. But uh I think we're headed in the right direction. I think with Jim Rex, we have the best chair we could possibly have, and uh, I think we'll keep moving forward here. Good. Well, before we uh, draw this thing to a conclusion here, is there anything that you'd like to add? Um, I'm just trying to get people to talk about our party with everyone they know. Share our party. Um, have their people follow us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram so that they can stay informed and when they feel comfortable enough with us that they should come and join us because it's uh, going to be through numbers of people coming on and getting excited about our party that will help us grow and help us affect the change that we need in our communities our states, and in D.C. Uh, it, it's it's going to take numbers of people to come and help us. And, and every single person counts. Yep. Right. Well said. So um, we've been talking with Michael Berger, one of the two national vice chairs of the Alliance Party. And, uh, Michael, I want to thank you for stopping by to chat with us this evening. Well, I appreciate being asked, and I appreciate your time and what you're doing with this pod show. I've been a long advocate for trying to get this show up on the air, and you did it for us, and I thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week, we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also keep in mind that the podcast now has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com, all one word, www.theallianceparty.com. Drop in, see what we're all about, and get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, 
be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.